Thanks for listening to Shift Your Spirits. I'm Slade Robertson. I'm a professional intuitive, but I try to talk about spirituality with fewer hearts and flowers than most new age blather. I also mentor emerging intuitives, psychics, and healers in a program called Automatic Intuition. It is Friday, February 7th, 2020, as I record this introduction. This week I have 274 web searches and 10 personal emails regarding spirit guides and, in particular, whether or not your spirit guides have names. I have some good reasons for believing they do want us to use names, at least, and I've witnessed a lot of really cool moments as an intuitive where these names serve as packets of clues full of useful information. So I'm sharing some of my experiences retrieving names through Clairaudience and Claircognizance and how you might access them too. That's coming up in just a few. As always, there's an oracle segment at the end of the show, so be thinking about a question or a concern you have. Hold it in your mind, and I'll come back on after the final links and credits and leave you with that extra message. Now when you go to sladeroberson.com slash readings, in addition to booking a reading with me, you can also connect with other intuitives, psychics, mediums, energy healers, and astrologers from the Automatic Intuition community. This week, I'd like to introduce you to Gray Lux. Gray is a professional intuitive, artist, and sorcerer who approaches readings through an esoteric lens, combining divination, magic, astrology, and original artwork. Gray aids clients in connecting to their own gifts to manifest their desires. I remember the first time I spoke to Gray on the phone, how excited I was by his unique perspective on the world and how much I wanted to work with someone whose practice exists at the intersection between spirituality and art. I've had readings with Gray that are unlike any other psychic I've encountered. Original imagery, a care package of spells, and I must say, all astrologers have their special spots in your chart that they will deep dive into more than others. And Gray went into details about parts of my charts that I've never had put under the microscope in the same way. By all means, please go check out his site at spiritualportraiture.com and you can find Gray's direct link as well as other feature practitioners at sladeroberson.com readings. In personal news... I rarely get a day off, and having a health crisis is not my preferred way of making that happen. So my mother and I go to the same eye care practice, ophthalmologist, eye surgeon, and I discovered this particular doctor through her having had two different eye surgeries. One was a laser surgery I'm going to talk about in a minute, and, and another was a cataract surgery. And their office is actually really close to my house. So it makes driving with your eyes dilated uh, less of a big deal um, than it might be if I had to go like across town or something. Um, It's interesting too, because there are two doctors at this practice. And the one that I go to is actually the son of my dentist when I was a little kid. So my dentist had a son who's a little bit younger than me, but um, he's now one of my eye doctors. Um, My mom had a torn retina a handful of years ago, and I became really sensitive to the signs of that because of what she went through when she first discovered the symptoms and how urgent the whole process was of doing something about it. So 
I had this phenomenon happen not long after she had had her torn retina where I was seeing a silver ring in the middle of my vision. Usually when I would um, first get up at like at night if I had to go to the bathroom or something, I would see it when I first rose up out of bed. And um, it turns out that that phenomenon, the silver O-ring, for most people is uh, related to a severe nearsightedness, which I am severely nearsighted. And it's something that can kind of happen uh, with uh, nearsighted people. Of course, you want to check it out and make sure that that is the diagnosis for whatever it is that you're experiencing. Um, but it was something that was expected to go away on its own. And it, it did, as far as I know. And uh, after talking to the eye doctor again, I found out that it, it went away much more quickly than he would have even predicted that it did for me. So that was a happy ending. Um, but not long after that, my mom's sister uh, was experiencing some of the symptoms of possibly having a torn retina, you know, um, floaters in the eye, um, flashes, you know, any kind of weird disturbance in your vision um, could be related to that. And she lives in another town, so this is a completely different different doctor's office, but when she called to make an appointment with her eye doctor, she did not tell them, hey, I'm experiencing these symptoms right now, or they would have seen her immediately. So she called and made an appointment. She didn't get an appointment for, you know, like a couple of weeks or a week and a half or something like that. And by the time that they saw her, the uh, retina tear was really, really bad. And it was a much more complicated surgery to save her eyesight. Um, She simply waited too long. It would have been a simple laser surgery like what my mom had uh, to fix it. Um, But because it went too long without being corrected and got too bad, they had to insert a bubble of gas into her eye in order to um, create a structure to hold everything in place where it needed to go. So she had this huge, you know, orb uh, right in the direct line of her vision um, that, you know, you can't see through. It's it's a bubble, so it distorts everything, which drove her nuts, you know, um, being able to see but have it be like you're constantly wanting to see around something that's in the way. Um, the worst part of her treatment, and of course they were able to treat her, but because of the fact that she didn't go in with a sense of urgency and had to do this gas bubble and everything. She had to remain lying down face down for an incredible number of days. Like it was, I want to say 10 days, two weeks, something more than any one of us would want to endure with like no more than an hour's total spent standing upright. You know, so it was just enough time to eat or to go to the bathroom throughout the day. And then the rest of the time, she had to remain lying face down. Um, my cousin, her daughter, went online on Facebook Marketplace and found a massage table that someone was selling. And uh, so that she would, you know, have that um, place where your face goes. So you're not just like laying, you know, with pressure on your face, um, but that she could, uh, lay a little bit more comfortably, uh, relatively more comfortably. It's still, it was just hell. Even, 
you know, thinking about it, hearing about it, um, it, time went, went by really slowly for her and everyone else that was trying to care for her while she was recovering for that. So having all that in my head, um, about a month ago, I started seeing flashes out of the corner of my eye and these were not spirit guide flashes. And the reason why I know the difference is because I just know the difference. You, you just kind of know, um, this is not a like an overlay of visual information. I, there was never even once that I thought, oh, this is like spirits trying to contact me or an intuitive thing or nothing. I knew it was like, oh, there's some there's a glitch in my eye. There's something going on with my vision. And I saw these flashes like maybe once a week. Um, and they were completely random. And I thought, okay. If that happens with any more frequency, I'm going to have to go have someone look at it. So yesterday morning, I got up and I was going about my business and I saw the phenomenon five times between you know the time I got up and, and noon. And I was like, holy crap. Like not only did it increase in frequency, it like thousands of percent increased in frequency. So I immediately called my eye doctor, told them, why I was calling and why I needed to see them. And just to, you know, let you know the urgency surrounding something like this, they literally said, how quickly can you be here? Can you be here in 30 minutes? Um, so I jumped up and immediately went to have this checked out. And of course I'm freaking out the whole time thinking, Oh God, I'm going to have to you know, have eye surgery, maybe what if I have a torn retina, you know, all this stuff. Cause I am kind of a warrior. Um, so of course, you know, it was highly impressed upon me how much worse it would be if I didn't do something about it right away. Um, I would much rather have my mom's experience than my aunt's experience. So anyway, if, you know, if anybody out there listening is experiencing something like this, if you're seeing dark streaks in your vision in particular, like dark clouds or something that, um, as bubbles, um, that is definitely something that you need to be seen immediately because that's probably blood in the liquid part of your eye, uh, which is definitely a sign of some type of tear. Um, if you have an action that causes the eye phenomenon, particularly like if you cough and it causes you to see the spots or see swirls or floaters or see lights or lightning or anything like that. If it's something that you can repeat, like every time I turn my head this certain way, I see something or every time I jump up and down, I, you know, this, this phenomenon happens. Those are all really urgent signs that, um, there could be something, uh, pretty serious wrong. Now, normally, if you call my eye doctor to get a checkup, you know, it could be six weeks or like two months or something before you can get an appointment. So I was, you know, <laughs> prepared to let them know right away what the deal was. Um, can you be here in 30 minutes? Yes, absolutely. I was there in like 15 minutes. But here's the story. We then spent another 30 minutes at the check-in desk haggling over whether or not they could see me and how much I would have to pay. Now, I have Blue Cross Blue Shield insurance. Um, of course, the eye care over the past few years has been reduced and reduced and reduced. Um, but the deductible 
for patients that they can see is four hundred to eight hundred dollars. Um, mine was four hundred dollars, meaning I had to spend at least four hundred dollars with them before my um, insurance would kick in and pay anything. Uh, the previous year before that, my deductible had been eight hundred dollars, so the deductible was a little bit better, but they no longer accept my insurance, um, which again is a major type of health insurance. Um, because of the emergency and because I have been a patient of theirs for years, they agreed to see me on the spot because of what was going on. Um, but, and, and just to let you know, the phenomenon that I am experiencing is an anomaly it's not a retina tear. Um, it is something else related to severe nearsightedness that should go away without any treatment sometime soon. And, of course, I'm relieved <laughs> to know that. Um, but he did tell me, you know, there's no way he could have confirmed that without the exam that he did. And they even had to use a few extra machines uh, to verify that, you know, it wasn't something more serious. Um, and that, you know, even responding one day earlier than another could really mean the difference between having some kind of permanent damage to your eye, um, possibly even losing sight in your eye. So, you know, he did tell me, okay, yes, this is no big thing. And twice now you've had something that has turned out to be not something that needs to be corrected, but don't get complacent and think next time you see something like that, that, oh, it's probably nothing either. You always want to err on the side of it being an emergency. So because of the emergency, I was completely willing to pay $400 on the spot not to, you know, risk anything serious and, or at least just to not go through what my aunt did and, and her complex recovery period. But, um, this is one of my triggers. <laughs> um, 57% of Americans could not find that $400 for an emergency like that. More than half of the people in this country could not afford in that moment of stress haggling over whether or not I can plunk down my credit card and say, yes, charge me, take my money, just see me. Um, most people in this country could not do that, could not do what I chose to do yesterday. And I'm very grateful that I'm able to do that, but I'm angry that I had to. And years ago, uh, you know, during a darker time in my life, a time when I did not have the financial resources that I have today, I went into medical debt over a $300 emergency room visit. And at the time, that was so beyond my ability to pay that it snowballed into all this um, increased debt and collections. And it took me years of um, paying payments to get out from under what that debt turned into, what that one $300 emergency room visit turned into. Um, now, thankfully, you know, I don't have kids, so I'm not having to make a decision like that about anybody else but myself. And I can imagine what it would be like to be unable to handle an emergency expense like that or emergency healthcare situation like that, especially if it was for someone that I 
was caring for that would you know relied on me um you know excuse my language but why in the ever loving fuck is the safety of your eyesight not considered healthcare because eye coverage is not considered healthcare um why is dental care not considered healthcare in the United States it's ridiculous um it's the number one thing that i pay out of pocket really um related to healthcare every year uh is is dental related stuff um you know the healthcare insurance industry is a parasite business it creates and contributes nothing other than its own wealth and of course you know the jobs of its employees and living in Chattanooga Tennessee this is the um home location for Blue Cross Blue Shield um, for a couple of other major healthcare um, brands, it is one of the major industries in my hometown, and it is ridiculous. This experience, um, it just is very triggering for me. I pray at least once a week, you know, for the profit for the for-profit health uh, care industry, the health insurance industry, the relationship between the pharmaceutical industry and government in the United States, I, I want all that to be obliterated. And I mean vaporized. What right, under what concept of humanity... Do I have to save my eyesight while someone without the means to throw down $500 cash on the counter just can't? What would their choice be if they couldn't do that in that situation? You probably would be, they'd probably see you anyway out of a sense of humanity um, and, you know, charge you. And then, you know, you'd be beholden to, to pay that debt down the road and most people would say yes you know whatever just see me as long as there is corporate socialism taxpayer bailouts for banks tax cuts for the wealthy and a blank check on military spending no rants about democratic socialism and socialized medicine have a shred of validity as long as all that other stuff is going on. There is no reason why one of the wealthiest countries in the world, if not the wealthiest country in human history, um, cannot manage to overturn the greed that is currently in place and replace that with um, a a system of shared values. As spiritually minded people, we talk about the unity of the human race. We're all one. We'll only be able to take care of everyone on the planet and the planet itself when we think and act in collective unity. And it's something that we all aspire to. And that is political. Our humanity and our morality and our values are expressed through our politics, through who we support who we empower to speak for us, how we choose to spend our resources, and our small, unheralded daily acts of kindness. 
Before I forget, I want to say a quick thank you to my newest supporters on Patreon, John Patton, Jack Bailey, and Guinevere Jones. Thank you to all of you who continue to pledge your support. It demonstrates that you're enjoying the show and you want it to continue. To find out how you can become a patron and support my time in producing more of these episodes and access some extra bonus content, please go to patreon.com slash shifterspirits. I name everything. Names are the way that I interact mentally, intellectually, psychically, emotionally with things that even might not ordinarily have names. For instance, computers, my cars, certain trees that I see on a regular basis that I have an affinity for. With something like computers, for example, someone posted about this in the group uh, the other day asking a question about why their relationship with technology was so terrible. And uh, there was a lot of cursing and a lot of hatred towards the computer. And it made me really aware of my own relationships with computers. I adore my computers. I think of them as artificial intelligence versions of guides. You know, um, computers are the way that I live my life. It, it enables me to have the career that I do, to interact with people, to maintain my friendships. A lot of my life is lived abstractly in a digital realm, as I'm sure yours is too. So to me, especially with it being such a huge part of my work, my computers are like trusty steeds must have been to people, you know, 200 years ago, uh, your horse was everything. Um, maybe that's more getting into the realm of what your car is. But for me, my computers, they're not living things. They're not pets. They're not pet rocks. Uh, I don't think of them as being spirit entities or alive in any way. I do think that they're the first glimmer of an emerging artificial intelligence that we will probably interact with in our lifetimes. So I've already got a lot of practice interacting with them. But I give different computers names uh, partly so that I can uh, keep track of them in my file system, especially on my backup drives. I can tell um, where certain documents would have been in time based on which computer I was using for those few years. And so there will be almost a theme within my life, and, and the computer's name sometimes represents that from that time period. Um, I give my computers powerful names. Uh, the current computer that I'm working on right here as we speak um, has a very powerful uh, guardian angel protector's name. And for some reason, I feel like I shouldn't say what that is. It's it's like really personal and, and private. And um, for psychic security reasons and physical security reasons, I'm not going to tell you what my computer's names are, but they do have names and, you know, they're comparable to people's names or superhero names or angelic entities' names. Um, but I always imbue them with this powerful, wonderful 
personality, as if they're genies and bottles or guardian angels, you know, that type of vibe. That's how I see them. So maybe that's one of the reasons why I have a good relationship with technology, or maybe it's the other way around. And my relationship with technology comes first, and then that allows me to have the warm fuzzies about technology. I'm, I can't really tell you. But um, so the idea of your spirit guides having individual names is something that's been around in my consciousness for about 15 years. Uh, as far as it being something out there that was talked about, I remember years ago as many of you may, watching Sylvia Brown on Montel Williams and answering questions from the audience. And people would often stand up and ask her, what's my guide's name? And she would just throw these names out there. And I also, when I first started blogging, it was one of the things that I blogged about most was this experience that I had of retrieving these names for these entities that were around me and how I kind of named them and interact with, with with them the same way that I'm talking about my computers. And I can remember at the time that there was a lot of argument in the blog comments of my blog and my peers. Uh, there are some people that are respected peers and colleagues of mine who do not believe in uh, spirit guides having names. And, you know, part of the philosophy is that they may exist in a realm in which the concept of, you know, human language is just completely not even there. Therefore, their name might be some unintelligible, ungraspable concept uh, that we don't even have the sensory ability to process. And I think that's true. So I do think that the idea of spirit guide names down here in this realm is very much an, an imposed concept, the same way that we impose the concept of time um, on something that is really kind of impossible to understand fully, but we have a system of dividing up and naming time and the passing of time, and, and our brains can wrap around that. And so there is something similar that's happening with the spirit guide names, I believe. So let me just state that for the record. It's something that we use down here in the physical world as people specific to our language and culture and personality. So out there in the wider multiple dimensions of the universe, um, the concept may fall apart or become more complex or multifaceted in some way. It doesn't really impact our use of it here and now. So that's the reason why um, I'm good with it. Um, I also always simply got names. You know, like if anybody asks me, hey, do you pick up a name for my spirit guide? Uh, I pretty much always have something. Something comes through. I've just always gotten names and I've always been hyper focused on names and name origins and name meanings. I think it has something to do with the fact that I have an unusual name um, or not common name. My name is more common in, in the UK as a last name. Um, but, you know, growing up, the, the little license plates that you get for your bicycle, they never had Slade on them. Even baby name dictionaries. Um, when I was a kid, I would go and, and look to see if they had my name and wanting to know what it meant. And my name was never in those dictionaries. I was 20 years old before I ever found a baby 
name dictionary with my name in it. And I was in the UK at the time that I ran across it and I bought it and I still have it. Um, It is one of the only print books that I still use almost on a daily basis. And if you've ever been on camera with me on Skype or Zoom or something like that, you uh, have probably seen me twist around and reach for it and pull it out when we start talking about names. Um, Names are always a component of the assessment that we do in the automatic intuition program. So um, I started out doing readings really by doing spirit name readings. And I was talking about my guides and who was who and how I kind of interacted with them and, and writing about that. And people started writing to me and asking me if I could pick up on a name for their spirit guide. And this was an uncanny amount of emails that I got that were all the same question. And so I remembered Sylvia Brown, you know, passing out her spirit guide names. And I thought, well, you know, if it's good enough for Sylvia, it's good enough for me. And so I started doing these spirit guide name readings. And that was really the first kind of psychic reading that I ever did for other people. If you don't count interpreting someone's chart, which even though it was astrology, sometimes I think my intuition would play a part in how I would explain someone's chart to them. So back to these spirit guide name readings, uh, they were email readings, they were really simple. And I remember thinking, well, you know, Sylvia, how do we really know that you're just not randomly pulling names out of a hat? Um, You know, I mean, not that I necessarily thought that about her, but I could see how other people might think that. And I thought, I've got to put something else in these readings so that people understand that I'm really tuned into them individually so that it helps them to accept like, yeah, this is a name that I got for you. I didn't just um, flip a book open and, you know, cover my eyes and pick a name at random and email it to you. I um, actually really tuned in and listened and, and, in finding out what your spirit guide's name was, I would also pick up on impressions about you and your personality and what you were like. And so I started to include this little personal identification section in all those readings to let people know kind of like, hey, you know, this is this is you. And if you resonate with this as being true, then that helps you to accept the other pieces of information going along with this. And so that's really how my psychic readings grew, because as I started to get feedback from the readings, the feedback started to be more and more about the other things that I was picking up about people. And those details tended to grow. To grow. And over time, the some of the spirit guide name information took a backseat to much more pressing questions. You know, if people are going to spend the time and the money to talk to me, there are often things that they care about here in the real world that they want to talk about a lot more than something that's kind of ethereal and unable to be proven and maybe neither here nor there. So I saw that drop off a little bit over time. It still surprises me, though, um, that it's it's always kind of there for the asking if anybody wants to know. I don't make a big point of, of forcing that on anyone unless they express an interest in it. But long story short, 
I get names and I give them and I continue to give them out because of the feedback that goes along with them. Um, There's a lot of different ways that specific names and words pop up for me um, as a clairaudient, as a claircognizant, intuitive Uh, It often comes tumbling out in normal conversation, as I'll try to give you some examples of of different ways that this manifests for me. But more than anything, you know, I would give people names and they would have some kind of association with them. And weirdly, my names never produced associations with people who passed away. Um, I very rarely have experiences doing mediumship. Um, but I have had some very interesting experiences with doing mediumship. So I'm trying not to say I don't do that um, because there is some indication that I can. It's just not something I'm presented with as often. Um, here's a story I've never told anyone before. So my nephew, who's 18 months old at the time of this recording, his name is Hayden. And that name is a name that exists in my journals as far back as being a teenager. And you know how you have that kind of list of names that like, oh, if I ever have a kid, I want to name him this, or I really like this name for a girl. You know, you've probably had that thought at some point. Uh, Some of you may have pretty elaborate lists around that. Uh, I wonder how many of those names that you want to name your kid when you're 10 actually end up being the names that you name your kid. Um, Or if you veer off in a completely different direction once there's another person involved um, in in getting to, to choose the name. But so that name... I don't didn't really know that it was necessarily like, ooh, if I have a son, I'm going to name him this because I didn't really ever have a conception that I would have children. I just really liked that name. And for me, I had names for characters in fiction. Uh, that was something that I was always kind of brainstorming as cool ideas for names for characters. And sometimes the names would come first and I'd be like, that's a really cool name for a female, you know, ninja or whatever, and then I would elaborate uh, and and grow the character from the name. So this name Hayden was really significant to me throughout my teen years, and when I was 19, I actually wrote a story um, about a real experience that I had with a spirit in my freshman dorm room, Um, and for the purposes of the story, I needed to disguise what the real name was. And, and so I wanted to give him like another name. And so in that piece of fiction, I used the word or the name Hayden uh, for that spirit. And I worked on that story for many years. It still um, it, it grew. And over time, it was something that I came back to maybe Five or six years ago, I pulled it out and started looking at it again and thought, you know, there's something here. There's the bones of some good story. Uh, One of the things, though, that I decided after working on it, and this was about five years ago, it's 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 in the cloud busting universe. If you've read the the novel Cloud Busting, um, it's actually would be sort of a prequel to that story. It's it's a story leading up to that um, summer for that character. And 
The spirit Hayden was very much a spirit that was waiting to be born into flesh again um, and was actively probably pursuing and trying to manipulate people in some way in order to inhabit flesh again and to come in. So there, there was a little bit of darkness around it. And I shelved that project even after working on it again decades later um i was like okay i like this story but that name is not creepy enough for me it's not dark enough um i need to come up with another name for that spirit character and in the meantime set it aside and and thought you know i'll kind of come back to it if it if it wants to be come back to um and then a couple of years ago, my brother and sister-in-law got pregnant, and they started talking about the names that they were going to choose for their child, and the first thing that they said, if it's a boy, his name's going to be Hayden. And I was like, oh, crap, that's a weird synchronicity. And um, I actually told her and my brother a little bit about it without getting too deep into like what that character represented in my story because my brother's pretty sensitive and and I think he's more psychic than I am but he does not like to talk about these things and is a little bit more creeped out by it whereas I'm like super into it you know um, it makes him uncomfortable and I was worried that if I told him like yeah that was the name of an evil spirit and a story that I wrote um, that it would creep them out and make them not want to use the name because I really loved the name and I thought yeah that's a really cool name for him so I did tell her um, my sister-in-law, you know what's really crazy? I have journal entries going back to my teen years where I talk about my love for that name. And she said, that's really cool. Okay, that's an, that's enough of a confirmation for me. And they did end up naming him that. So that's just an example of like one of these like really charged scenarios that I've had with names that stretches out over years and years and years. Um, I also get really difficult, bizarre names that I don't even really think I've ever heard before. And, and you would think it's one thing to tell someone that they have a spirit guide named John, right? And like tell them, oh, yes, you're going to see signs everywhere that that's your spirit guide's name. That's a pretty easy one. Um, and actually, I don't think I've had a lot of Johns. <laughs> but um, John, I actually have had a lot of Marys, though, as, as spirit guide names and in connection to Mother Mary. So th that's an, another issue. Uh, usually there are extra signs that go along with Mary um, that let us know it, it's her. Um, but just to give you an example of one of these really bizarre ones that happened recently, Seth and I were texting and I sent him this silly picture. It's a meme of a cat that tried to turn into a peacock and it's sort of half cat, half peacock. And it says something about, you know, like a shape, a shape shifting fail or uh, something like when your shape shifting fails, but you still look fabulous. And it's this picture of this cat slash peacock. And I sent it to him because we have um, an ongoing uh magical practice of of creating uh, this menagerie of of fairy animals and uh it's something that we play with and talk about and so i sent him this picture um and 
he said something about like, oh, I think that's my spirit animal and and was asking me, what do you think the guide's name is? And I said Clytemnestra, um, which he then began to explain to me that he was, and Seth, if I get this wrong, like, sorry, um, but something to the effect of he was standing outside in the parking lot, like trying to photograph a rainbow or a storm or something. And he was having a conversation with someone about Greek goddesses. And um, Clytemnestra is either the daughter of a goddess or a god or something. But anyway, that name is um, part of like classical literature. I think she may be in the Medea or, you know, one of those old plays or or something. So it's definitely a name that I've heard before. It's buried in my psyche somewhere. But there was this really weird synchronicity where I pulled this Greek goddess's name out of thin air, you know, at the moment that he's kind of having this interaction with another person about that. So that's just an example of like an everyday occurrence that will happen with these names that come to me. Um, one of the best confirmations that I ever got for a client reading, uh, when I give a client a spirit guide name in in the context of a reading, whether that's the focus of the reading or just an incidental piece of information, I always ask for them to have clarification. And, and together we call in or invoke um, synchronicities and signs of affirmation from that spirit that we do have their name right. Um, and so that can take very mundane forms. It's just like, okay, for the next few days, you have this, um, you know, surge of seeing that name everywhere, or, you know, you interact with somebody at Starbucks and the name's on their name tag, or you look up at the television and there's a name on the screen and someone's talking and it, that's their name. And, you know, you see these little winks and, um, synchronicities in your daily life where that name is being highlighted. Um, And that's the kind of expectation that I have without giving them too much detail about what to look for, but just letting them know, you know what, you'll get some confirmations around that name. So this particular client was an expat living in Italy at the time of her reading. And um, she we pulled through this name. I don't even remember if it was an Italian name. It could have been a Polish name. It was a surname. It was very complex and unusual. I can't even remember what it is right now, but it was, imagine, I don't know, some kind of Czech or Polish or or Italian name that's, you know, not Smith, you know, like something really unique, um, a name that I'd never specifically heard before. And I kind of tried to spell it for or whatever. And I remember joking with her and saying, you know, telling her the thing about getting the uh, feedback on the name. And I was like, this is probably not going to happen for you. I can't imagine how it could. Um, you know, this this is a tall order, but we'll see what happens. And she was laughing about it too. Like, yeah, that's never going to happen. Um, I got an email from her half an hour later. She, after getting off the phone from the reading with me, um, she went downstairs and went to a cafe and she grabbed a couple of newspapers and got her coffee and she sat down at a little table outside and she flipped the newspaper over and on the front page was a story about this 
Italian porn film director who had just been like, I don't know, busted for money laundering or child porn or whatever. It was like this big scandal that was in the newspaper. And that was his name. And she was like, okay, it's kind of weird that it's a porn director, but the synchronicity of that is too amazing. So um, that was one of the ones that I was just like, okay, I am forever going to give out whatever name that I get because um, obviously there's something to it. And actually, that's kind of my attitude at this point. I don't know how it works. I just know that it does work. So I'm just going to continue doing it until uh, I decide otherwise. Um, You kind of have to go with the name that you're given, you know, at least until you investigate. Because I remember telling her, oh, you might want to shorten that or turn it into a nickname or something if it makes it easier for you to to work with that name. But um, to willfully change it is definitely something that could be an option. But wait and see what comes up for the name that you do get. Um, People are often uh, disappointed by the names of their guides. And, you know, it's not always me giving them out. Like, for instance, in the attunement meditation that we do in the beginning of the automatic intuition program, you retrieve your own guide's name during a meditation. Um, And so even still, people come to me with like, okay, this is kind of a dorky name, but this is what I got. And I kind of call it, you know, the George the Asian immigrant phenomenon. It's like, you know how in you can be in one culture, say in America where we speak English, and someone will immigrate to our country from uh, a, a very different language system, like you know Chinese or Japanese or or something that is not even as close as say you know a European name, uh, something really from a different part of the world, and they will often adopt English names um, for a variety of reasons to you know kind of make it easier for people to say their name or to um, represent symbolically their new American identity, uh, whatever it might be, that that is a common practice that, that they will take on um, a name that they feel is Americanized in some way. And the names that they choose are always kind of funny, right? Like th- they don't go with them. We, we sort of giggle when we see this, you know, man from East Asia whose name is George or Eugene or something kind of off and it doesn't seem to go with what he looks like or whatever. And so I think sometimes the guides are doing something similar. I don't think they 100% have the ability to grasp the nuances of our language and experience in the dimension we're in. And so they, they choose these things kind of like they're trying to assimilate a little bit. And so they end up choosing things that sound a little funny to us. Um, so that could be one component of it. Um, but something that I've found, especially during readings, is that the names can often be a message in themselves. Like the names can be conveying something conceptual or thematic to the client. And so um, I always like to look up names in the moment. Like I said, I turn around and I reach for my little dictionary and I pull it out and I say, you know what, let's look that name up. Um, You can also Google name meaning colon, whatever the name is, and you'll get, you know, information about 
the name origin and you know what it means and whether or not it's a boy's name and all that kind of stuff, right? So um, with uh, reading clients, sometimes they already have a significant association with the name. Like maybe the name I pull through for the spirit guide is that name that they're like, oh my God, I always wrote in my diary that I was going to have a son named that or whatever. Um, but uh, it, it's it's kind of fun to... Um, play with, okay, what is the, the message that is buried in the etymology and the complexity of this, this name's history, right? And you don't always know that at first blush. Um, so there is an intellectual academic component to doing a little bit of research around the names to get some additional meaning. And there's often significance and synchronicity within that. So to give you a, a, an example Sometimes my clients really hate the names that I pull through for them. I had a hairstylist one time who got a reading with me. She was so pissed that her spirit guide's name was Oliver um, that she like berated me about it and like went off on this tirade about the name and how ridiculous it was. And I remember being a little offended in the moment because weirdly enough, my hairstylist had a baby infant son named Oliver. Um, and so I felt this like weird kind of like, um, offense on behalf of her, that this other woman was making fun of the name. And, you know, I tried to just be like, well, you know what? It's what I got and you don't have to like it. And you can certainly give him another one if you want to. Um, but I have to kind of stick by and trust that there's a reason why I'm picking up on that name because it often proves true. You know, and I told her a little bit about the history of what I'm telling you about doing these readings. And so... She got off the call in a huff. And I really even thought for a moment, like, you know what? I almost just want to give her a refund just to disconnect from her energy. And I just like, okay, if you're that unhappy with the reading, then forget it. You know, I don't, let's just call the whole thing off. I can't remember if I did give her um, a refund or not. Um, but it was like a really bad interaction. Like it went down really bad um have only ever had like two or three of that kind of episode ever happen with anyone so i have to tell you i get an email from her months and months and months later apologizing to me and she told me that again she's a hairstylist and she has up on her station a little collection of framed images um around um, hairstyling stuff or whatever. And like, you know, one of the images is her framed license that she has to display. And then she had some other like cool old like barbershop pictures or something like that. And so she told me, she said, one of the pictures is signed, like has someone's autograph at the bottom of it or it has a name um, in ink indicating that that's the person in the picture and it was like a you know little happy barber from 1910 or whatever and she wrote to tell me that his name was Oliver and that that name was written in ink on a photograph that had hung at her station for years before I ever even did the reading for her and since. Um, and so I was like, wow, okay, well, 
glad I stuck to, you know, stuck to it and didn't back down from it. Um, one of my favorite stories ab- about uh, guide names actually happened with one of my mentoring clients named Christina. And um, Christina had has had a long history of doing energy work and um, she's a healer and she's very successful at it and has had a practice for a long time. But when she came to start working with me, one of the things that she really wanted to develop was her ability to do readings, meaning read the client, communicate to them um, the phenomenon that she was observing. Because as she explained it to me, she could move the energy and she could heal energy and um, release it and clear it and do all kinds of things, but she could not explain it to someone, have a conversation around it, put into words. It's just, it it confounded her. And so that was one of the things that she wanted to work on. So as we are um, doing her assessment, her attunement session, which is the first session that we do in automatic intuition, uh, I have everyone tell me about their experience with the attunement. They walk me through it like it's a dream that they had. And I take notes and there are neuro-linguistic clues in the the word choice that they use in addition to the symbolism that they bring through that tells me things about their abilities and how their abilities um, are wanting to manifest and where their blocks are, all that kind of stuff. So during that session, she told me that the name that she retrieved for her Akashic Record guide was Rhonda. And she kind of giggled about it. And I giggled about it, too, because Rhonda is the name of my dental hygienist since I'm 14 years old. Um, I've had the same hygienist, and her name's Rhonda. So when you say the name Rhonda to me, I picture this sweet little blonde lady in in scrubs and... um, uh, Christina was joking about the fact that like Rhonda doesn't really sound like a guide's name. You know, it's not something um, exotic or, you know, profound or biblical or anything like that. And so we were kind of giggling about it and we went on with the session and we were continuing to discuss other things. And and then I remembered, you know, ooh, Rhonda, um, let's, let's look her up in the name dictionary. I'm just curious what that might mean. So, oh, uh, the one other thing I forgot to tell you about this whole issue that she was having with being able to to vocalize uh, the, the stuff that she sees throughout the entire process of her telling me her attunement experience she was clearing her throat and coughing and I said you definitely are blocked in the throat chakra you know your ability to speak and to access your voice is is an issue for you like you're actually struggling to have a conversation with me about it and so we got out the baby name dictionary and i said let's just see what rhonda means and rhonda means voice and we both just died you know, screaming on the phone, like chills up and down our body, like no way, right? So that kind of thing does happen a lot around these names. So I think of names as being significant partly for the message and the symbolism and the theme that they might bring through that represents something about your uh, lessons and your purpose. Um, 
does it help you to focus, you know, or invoke spirit by calling on these helpers? If if having that name helps you kind of interact in a ritualistic way, or like I said, sort of wrap your mind around something that's harder to wrap the mind around, uh, then by all means, I think the name can be sort of a shorthand. It's like a magic spell or a mantra. Um, a lot of people will go down this rabbit hole of wanting to do kind of like a full spirit guide and guardian panel and like bios on every single entity and what they do and what their name is and where they come from and all that kind of stuff. And I think this is something that we all go through as we start to uncover this and explore it. it it may be kind of like a phase that you go through where you're like okay well I want to know who everyone is and you can definitely work on that you can find that out you can investigate you can get the guides that talk to you more to communicate about the others um, through you know meditations and automatic writing sessions all kinds of things and I would have thought, you know, because I went through that phase early on in in doing these readings and everything that that would have become more complex and complicated over time. Like the further I go in this process, the more I'm going to delve in and learn about all these different people. And I'm just going to be populating this, you know, dimension full of, of entities and who they are and what they do. And the weird thing is just the opposite has happened for me over time it's all kind of collapsed together and become more vague and more kind of rolled all up into like a little bubble. And I just, you know, think about the bubble. I don't break the bubble apart and go into all the little molecules that are inside there. I just go, yep, there's my bubble. Um, I think of my guides as kind of a single group entity, not unlike the way that I'm speaking to you right now. I can sense there are thousands of you listening and it's it's like a, a crowd that that morphs between being an individual person and then being like this multi-souled thing at the same time. So there's a similar feeling to me with with the concept of audience. Um with the guides. Um, I kind of have this guardian angel spirit that I've been aware of the longest in my lifetime. She goes all the way back to childhood for me. And I guess she's technically what we would call an Asher or the personal guardian angel spirit that, you know, like we tell little kids that they have. Um, I just like her. I just like talking to her and I have been addressing her as an individual, among my guides for so long that whenever I want to talk to my guides, I kind of have a tendency just to talk to her with the understanding that um, the others are listening, that she has the ability to pass on and delegate, and that they can figure it out amongst themselves. So I either talk to her or I talk to them as a group, and that's usually the the way that I interact with them at this point. Um so you may be wondering like how to get your guide's names. And I think the easiest thing to do is just ask, especially if you feel a presence or you're meditating or trying to communicate with your guides and calling them in, ask for a name, see what pops into your head. And also ask for, like I did with my clients, a confirmation in the real world 
about that name and and then you'll start to see those synchronicities letting you know hey that's that's the name um automatic writing is another way that you might uh retrieve that kind of detail you can also just speak uh do dialoguing if you set a voice recorder on your phone and and just start channeling and um speaking to your guides and asking them questions and um, another exercise I like to do with people is write a scene in which you are creating a fictional version of yourself, quote unquote fictional, uh, who is a master psychic, you know, write a character for yourself as if it's in a novel or a film. And this psychic has a spirit guide that she communicates with. And the guide's name is what? You know, pick a really cool name for that guide. That's another way to use the imagination to get at the intuition. Um, Sometimes the things that you think you're imagining are intuitive impulses. And again, there are feedback and signs from other people and external sources that will let you know when that's something intuitive. So you can also get a reading, you know, from anybody who does readings that uh, might pick up a name for you um, and and work with that. And again, ask, you know, for signs in the real world of affirmation. So one thing that, that a lot of people ask me about this topic is why psychics might get a different name from you. So, for instance, you may have this name that you retrieved on your own and then you go get a reading with someone and they come back to you and say, oh, I talked to a guide and it was a different name. Um, I think one of the best ways to explain what could be happening there, because I don't want to tear down anybody's abilities. Somebody may have just talked to a different guide. You have lots of guides around you. And um, the guide that I just said that I had a preference for communicating with is not a guide that's going to speak with someone who is a stranger, who's external to me. Like those guardian angel guides, those are locked up. Like they really present... Um, an imposing fortress of energy to anybody outside of you that's approaching them. Um, whereas you have this, you know, relationship with them. They're like a secret service agent that's following you around and, and you know them and you're comfortable with them. So they don't have the same impact. But um, psychics can't necessarily get at certain parts of your uh, guide team or your chart or you know information about you. Um, there could be reasons why you are keeping that close or it's you know a security issue or a safety issue. So one of the ways to describe how this goes down is to think of like the metaphor of a party. Let's say that there is a big surprise party for you. It's a birthday party. And there are people there from your family. There are friends of yours from school. There are people there that you work with. They're all from these different kind of environments. And so maybe I'm invited to this party. And I go to this party and the person who's your best friend in the whole world may not be the person that I click with or that I end up encountering or, you know, I might run into somebody really neat and end up in the corner having a great conversation with them and come away and be like, yeah, telling you about who I met at your party. And, you know, the person that I interacted with the most and really clicked with and liked was somebody that you work with that you're not even really that close to. Um, so, you know, it's a personality thing that could be part of it. Another thing too, is 
if I go, if you send me into that party with a specific investigation around your job and career, then I'm going to move through the party and be like, okay, who here works with my client? And I'm going to get a small amount of, of people raising their hands. So I'm going to focus on communicating just with those people. Again, I may be talking to somebody that you work with who knows things about you in that environment. Meanwhile, your best friend in the whole world that you've known since you were five is on the other side of the room, you know, doing the Macarena and wearing a lampshade on their head. Who knows? But um, so... Just keep in mind that you do have multiple guides and different guides can connect to uh, different psychics depending on the time frame, what's going on with you. You could have something going on in your life that's making one of your guides more active, like they're you know, more at the forefront driving a, a major issue that's going on. And so that might be the guide that presents forward when you get a reading. So... You know, at the end of the day, I want you to always defer to your own information. So if you retrieve information on your own and it's comfortable for you and you have an emotional attachment to a particular guide and a particular name, then you you go with that. You know, if somebody comes along and says, oh, you have a guide and it's got a different name, that's fine. Throw that person into the mix as a secondary guide and move on um, and continue to practice and work with the name and the entity that you feel most connected with. Um, If it doesn't empower you or make you feel more magical to talk to guides at all, then don't force it. I know there are a lot of people here who are smart people who think of these concepts in more symbolic Um, archetypal terms, uh, more of a psychological, analytical, um, dream symbolism place. You can be both intellectual and a little bit woo-woo at the same time, and that might allow you to access some of this information that you might otherwise dismiss as being like ridiculous or far-fetched or something like that. So if it feels silly to you to have these imaginary friends, then what I suggest to you is that you begin to think of the concept of guides as archetypal programs. We all have tons of human archetypes that we work with and that we embody in different contexts and different times in our life and in different sort of relationship scenarios. So think of these archetypal programs as being like apps you can download. Um, And some apps you use more than others you have apps that are downloaded on your phone that you've never opened up you know um just because you don't care to check the stock market or whatever it might be but it is available to you should something change and you want to access that so think about spirit guides if it helps you as these kind of archetypal programs that you can access and run and that the guides are representing some facet of your experience as a human being. Maybe you as the mother archetype, maybe you as the wounded child, the magician, the artist, all these different kind of facets and components of human experience that we have to choose from. You could think of those as spirit guides uh, that exist within the psyche. Uh, you, you know, 
technically have free will to do whatever you want with this con concept, including change the names of your guides or give them names if they aren't forthcoming. Maybe they just look at you with a blank stare like, I don't have a human name. Um, and give them a nickname if you want. Uh, go back through that list of like what you wanted to name your kids when you grew up and, and pick a name for them. Um, you know what's interesting? People rarely ask me their spirit guide names anymore. Even when I have them on the phone for an hour. So I kind of feel like now, <laughs> having talked about this, I'm going to get that question a little bit more. And that's fine. Um, but it's something that we can always throw in. And I always think, why doesn't anybody ever ask that? I could tell them if they wanted to know. So if you want to know, go to SladeRoberson.com and book a reading with me. And we'll talk about it. Thanks again for listening to the Shift Your Spirits podcast. You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever app you prefer. For show notes, links, transcripts, and all the past episodes, please visit shiftyourspirits.com. You can also download a free ebook and a meditation to help you connect with your guides. If you'd like to get an intuitive reading with me or with one of our featured practitioners, please go to sladeroberson.com slash readings. And if you're interested in my professional intuitive training program, you can start the course for free by downloading the attunement at automaticintuition.com. Before I go, I promise to leave you a message and answer to a question or a concern you may have. So take a moment to think about that. Hold it in your mind or speak it out loud. I'll pause for just a few seconds right now. Seek quality over quantity. It will raise your vibration around opportunity and abundance. And I'll talk to you later.